This episode is brought to you by Seed. Did you know that supporting your health can be as easy as taking two capsules a day? Each daily dose of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is formulated with 24 scientifically studied probiotic strains that support gut, skin, and heart health, helping you start the new year off right. Visit seed.com slash Spotify and use code SPOTIFY25 to get 25% off your first month. Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. This is part two with Ben Escrow. And if you're coming back for part two, that means you enjoyed part one. And this one is super duper interesting as well. We talk about some supplements that Ben is currently interested in and he's got his eye on. He is always on the cutting edge of the new and best thing that's actually evidence-based in terms of supplementation. So it's very interesting hearing about that. Maybe some issues with taking some supplements alongside drugs or medication and some things for you to really be aware of and I think this was really valuable as anyone who is kind of taking supplements and cares about their health and wants to get the best from things I definitely recommend listening to it all and if you didn't hear me last time this is maybe going to be one of the final reminders that the improvement season podcast that was on this podcast provider is now its separate thing if you're on YouTube you're hearing both and you're seeing both anyway but if you're on a podcast provider you'll know these are now separate or now you know and uh, if you want to join us for the improvement season with myself and Pascal just basically going back and forth and having a fun time and many things related to fitness of course in our journeys then definitely search for it and you'll be able to find us and we'll gladly have your ears but without further ado let's get into the show with Ben. See the response you get and I think a lot of people would be shocked. It's it's funny. It's something I um I hadn't really thought about much until last year. Oh no, the year before last. Now, damn, time flies. And uh, I was competing, and uh, like on show day, I was I'd been having this pre workout, and like it it didn't have these like various tests for it, and like I was just like, it's just not worth me taking this anymore. Like if they take me for a, I don't know a piss test, and it comes up, and I'm don't know banned now for ten years or whatever it is. Like it's just not worth it. So I think. Yep. Like there's a number of like natural competitors who are listening and I, I'm probably nine times out of 10 people will be fine about it. I guess like you're just fortunate, but it could be that one time you just, you get caught out on it. Well, and I think especially for a drug tested competitor, you do want to see one of those independent third party tests that just validates that there's no banned substances in it because that of really all the testing that you can do as a company, that's probably the most affordable. Um, when you do like, for example, we typically in runs will do a, a validation just to make sure our manufacturer isn't, isn't fluffing us on, on, you know, what they say they put in any in the amounts. Cause think about that, you know, it's very expensive to run supplements, a manufacturer who just wants to max profit margins. It's, it sounds like we're talking about, you know, black market, you know, uh, <laughs> drugs where they, they put uh, brick dust in, in cocaine or something. But um, you still want to know. I, I certainly want to know as a as a, a supplement seller and formulator that everything that I intended to be in there at those amounts is in there. So it requires a little more complex analysis to do because you have to go ingredient by ingredient and you're paying per ingredient you're doing on that assay so that adds up quite a bit especially if you're doing it for every batch for every flavor for all of those things so i think uh yeah 
especially so those are kind of our three categories we define if if price isn't a factor for you and you just want the highest quality look for license as many of the ingredients on the panel as possible i think all three categories i'm going to say should avoid proprietary blends because that's just a way to hide yeah. things in there i think the second category is if you are price shopping which is probably most people find some additional layer that what's in there what they're saying is in there is in there if you can't find it ask the company and then for the people who are specifically looking for something that's definitely drug free you definitely want to have a seal of of third party approval um like some of the, the those i mentioned before nsf safe for sport the green check mark bscg uh lc i think lcg or lsg is another one there's quite a few out there but you just want to see that seal it's really tough because the more we've spoken through it, if the supplement company or the, the people running it, if their heart isn't in the right place, you've almost got every incentive to like make things as cheap as possible and take as many of those risks that things aren't what they are. And then let's be honest, a lot of supplements, the marketing and the placebo effect is huge for them. So if if you you're probably in many, as a business person, more incentivized to put all your money towards marketing, put it less towards actually the product itself, and yeah, go down that route. And obviously, you'd hope that doesn't breed longevity. And but I imagine, like you've seen a lot of companies go through that. Like you think, at least you can see they've made that decision. The the reality is, I'm not going to name uh, brand names, but the reality is, it's a marketing machine, and I think to get to the highest level. You have to, as you said, probably be at least balanced 50-50 marketing and then product development. But I think some ways are are less harmful than others. Um, like there's certain brands who are trying to blend sort of streetwear culture with supplements and and make it sort of sexier to to buy supplements and and merch where they blend a merch company with a supplement company and I think that's less harmful. It just hypes up, you know, like the packaging looks cool. And I'll, even a lot of them now, I've seen that their formulas are 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 decent, like they're they're not bad. So I think that marketing approach is is not as dangerous as some of the others who um I'd say appeal to the the more uh desperate consumer where they really want gains at any cost. So you know they'll say this will be the strongest stim and it's got everything in there that's that's banned and has been banned for the past five yeah. years um but of course you know they'll sell it as a research chemical uh rather than a supplement or something like that but yeah i mean you you put it well and and i think just to use another explanation for it it still does operate a lot like the wild west and i think what i saw when i was first getting in was it was a a lot more open before more regulation from the FDA came in, especially about with the exotic stimulants and pro-hormones and stuff, it operated a lot more like the Wild West. And especially like, I'm gonna be careful how, how I describe this because this person was an inspiration for me and I actually think he he was very brilliant, but he he definitely did things that walk the line i consider and that was patrick arnold um with a company called ergo farm originally and you know he introduced dmaa to the market which a lot of people don't know 
Um, so before it really blew up, he had a product that first brought it to the market. And he also, before DMAA, he brought a lot of the designer sort of anabolics to the market, like 1AD, which was one testosterone, was, was his creation. And he was a chemist. So he was able to synthesize these things in a lab and buy the legal loophole because they were derivatives of DHEA. They wouldn't they weren't actually classified as, as anabolic steroids and they were orally active. So I think he was brilliant, but um, I'd say willing to probably do some some things that that maybe maybe I wouldn't be. But um, that's definitely harder to do because now I think, you know, the FDA after that period of time smartened up and just made these blanket clauses about certain ingredients to limit that. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's tough. It's tough. The, every, every time I try to go down a practical route, I get lost in these technical details of like, <laughs> oh man, it, it's it's not so simple. And it's like these realizations I have of like, okay, I'm trying to make it simple, but oh shit, it's it's not as simple as I'd yeah. like it to be. I think you gave some really good practical tips for the consumer, though, especially things like like they all know it. With um, when you're trying to buy like some nutrition nutritionally based if you're trying to hit certain goals you don't just look at oh which one looks the tastiest you look at the ingredients or the macros on the back and that gives you more of information of is it goal driven same with like again like we've said the supplement marketing is i mean sorry supplement industry is so marketing heavy try and look past that and look at actually what am i getting from this product yeah uh, versus just like the, the the hype behind it or the influencer who's hyping it up like look at actually is it better than this other one do a little bit of digging that way i'm interested ben is there anything you're currently working on is there any formulations you're looking at any supplements you've currently kind of seen that seem to be like you're interested in um i'd say i'm, I'm always fascinated by what i would consider the most influenceable factor that you have as a formulator in the space for drug tested athletes with which is kind of energy products and things that influence just feels I, I i think you could build the strongest argument that that's the last frontier that's left where you can still really make a difference in, in a way someone feels it so i always keep my eye open i i think it gets harder and harder like I talked the last episode I did on our culture, I talked about paraxanthine. I think that was fascinating. Paraxanthine is a metabolite of caffeine that does feel a little bit different differently. If you give it like if you've ever used caffeine, you felt the effects of paraxanthine. But when you give it in pure form, you just get that purified um, experience of stimulation that normally you'd only get sort of halfway through caffeine metabolism. And that was fascinating. There was a lot of interesting, I think, just technical journeys they had to go through to, to launch that. And it, there there was innovation involved in that. So that was cool. That was something that I, I would have liked to have been able to launch, just didn't have the resource. Um, I think there's other potentially supplements like uh, stimulant support ingredients that fascinate me. Like one of them is just derivatives of tyrosine because, you know, when you mix tyrosine in, tyrosine is, is a good stimulant support ingredient. You know, it's a precursor to all of the classical neurotransmitters that are really feel-good chemicals. Um, and you can have an influence on both stimulation and sort of the the come down effects of stimulation with a lot of those precursors i don't have the best technical or physiological reason why but just anecdotally whenever i've small batch formulas i've always found that 
when you include some of those precursors in, it seems to not be as harsh of a come down versus something that's just kind of straight caffeine. Uh, the limitations and difficulties with tyrosine is when you give it in pure form, it is bioavailable, uh, but it's very poorly water soluble. So it it's not the best experience and it's very difficult to dose it as high as you need to. Like pure tyrosine, if you want to really get the best effects, you need it like five grams plus. Um, that's hard to do because it mixes like milk when you mix it in water. I mean, you really can't solubilize more than 500 milligrams in like um, in like 300 to 500 milliliters of water. That's very, very low solubility for a classical supplement ingredient. There are alternatives you can use, but at least the, the data we have now shows that they don't really make it well in systemic circulation or they don't make it into the central nervous system, which is what you need to influence energy and stimulation. So one of those is N-acetyltyrosine, which is we what we use just because it's soluble and it doesn't it doesn't impact as poorly the user experience, but you can get some in. It's just not as potent as normal tyrosine. So it's kind of like you're picking your weakness that you want to yeah. utilize as uh, that you want to take as a formulator. Since it's not as strong as caffeine, I think I, I just accept. Okay, you know we'll put a high dose of N-acetyl in there, and even if twenty percent gets it in, into the blood. Um, we'll accept that um, since it's not the primary ingredient in the formulation. Um, so uh, there are potential ways to navigate around that. There are alternatives of tyrosine that have been fascinating uh, to me. I haven't seen used yet. Uh, I'm going to be fairly tight-lipped about it. I mean, anybody who who listens, who who is formulation savvy, probably can find what those are. But uh I think that's an interesting avenue. I don't think you're going to be able to make this billion dollar product on on tyrosine analogs because they're just not as potent as like a classical stimulant like a yohimbin or caffeine mm. or anything like that. So, yeah, I think some of those more nuanced things are fascinating for me. I'm always interested in stuff in the, the muscle building category like turkesterone fascinated me. But I think just the deeper I dove in. I it, the more it was just disappointing because I wanted to believe just like everybody else did every consumer wanted to believe and I mean what's crazy is like turkesterone is an ecti steroid ecti steroids have been around since like the 60s and they were popular in the 90s as well um but it was sold as ecti sterone which you could source and you can get a relatively high potency um powder of of Ectosteroids. So they used to sell like it was 20 beta ectosteroid or ectosterone. And um, you can get like a 90% or so powder. And that never really led to much. But there was still this data back then that suggested turkesterone is the most potent of the ectosteroids. And it just kind of blew my mind that it just completely disappeared in the 90s. And then magically it just gets revitalized. I don't I don't know what necessarily caused that, because certainly the research didn't support that. Oh my God, turkesterone mm. is something every every supplement company needs to sell. But somebody I think just found that they could capitalize on that maybe plausible uh possibility at that point in time that turkesterone might be this magic thing or or there's just not enough to disprove it. So we can just push hard for a little period of time until enough comes to to push back on it. But uh, I really think now, sort of in hindsight, and, and I did mention this on the 
on the Iron Culture podcast as well, when we talked about tricesterone, I think a lot of companies were probably just selling probably ectosterone. Um, that was probably very low yield uh, tricesterone in that blend. And they just didn't care because yeah. the, the one thing is, you know, when you have a pure compound, you, like when you're talking about things that aren't nutrients, you could build a case that this might not be true, but for the most part, a pure compound that's a supplement ingredient is almost always going to be white. So if it's above 95% purity, it's usually not going to be colored. And a lot of those things that were sold as tricesterone and ectosterone were not white. They weren't white powders. And you can look at, you know, a lot of these companies that sell research chemicals. If you're really, again, if you want to be really nerdy about it, you can go onto a company like Sigma, Sigma Aldrich, um, or just Google like that raw ingredients chemical name. So you could Google tricesterone and you could find on the Sigma website that they sell pure tricesterone for a research chemical, but chemical for an academic institution who wants to study it. And it will be validated that it's pure by their um, their their high level, high, high specificity uh, analytical instruments. And it says right on the assay that it's white. It'll say white or off white. So, you know, like it's not just Ben making it up like this general statement of like, oh, it's got to be a white powder. Like we actually have the tests that say a pure version of tricesterone is white. So if you were getting something that wasn't, you definitely weren't getting what you were being told you were. But how many people, especially consumers, unless you're fanatical about it like me, are going to buy that product and then send it out for a third party test um, and see if it actually contains that? you're you're asking people to invest 10x on what they did on just buying the bottle you know mm. no absolutely yeah i i know from utopia which i don't know if that's like one of your favorite products you've made but it's certainly one i i really enjoyed yeah. uh because i i felt the difference between having that and like a coffee or a monster or whatever it is like i, I feel that and yeah it's nice when you can feel it as a consumer as well absolutely yeah i think so you know again to to touch on something i mentioned before is i really consider myself split down the middle uh as on on one side formulator on the other side still consumer so i really want a product that i always that i always wanted or that i see as a void in the current market now i will be the first to admit that window closes every year as things get more competitive and bigger brands more well funded or just more maybe there's more incentivization for formulators in an expanding industry where I think better formulators have come in more knowledgeable. And um, I, I think what I really am most proud of about a, a product like Utopia is I was able to sort of satisfy a lot of the things that DMAA did without using DMAA just by touching on some of the mechanisms that D DMAA uh, like the pathways that it kind of activated. For example, uh, a lot of stimulants are are dopaminergic. Um, and dopamine, like caffeine is, is very dopaminergic. That's why it's very hard to kick the caffeine habit. Um, but if you use things that are more specifically work on dopamine, for example, like L-DOPA, which is a direct precursor to dopamine synthesis, you will get a more pronounced dopamine response if you combine it with caffeine. Now, you, these are things that I think you have to be, uh, 
I would say careful with because you don't want to go super high um, with direct precursors like that. Like, for example, like a direct pre precursor of serotonin is 5-HTP. If you go too high on that, it's going to make you sick. Like you'll get nauseous. You might puke. Um, so dose, dose is everything. And I think this is a universal concept in every field I've ever been involved in. Like nutrition, we know dose is everything. Like a certain amount of macros will make you unhealthy. A certain amount will make you healthier and a certain amount will maintain you. Um, we know this with hydration. We know this with loading and programming. Um, so it, it's, it's supplements exist. That rule still applies in supplements is dose is essential. It matters. Um, and, you know, things like L-Dopa are given at like very far high ranges for clinical situations like people with Parkinson's. And at those dosage, like eight grams a day, it can be a problem. And I mean, I've seen companies dose it at levels where I'm like, man, that's concerning. Because for me, when you get really around a gram, that's a lot. That's a lot of a direct precursor of dopamine. You might be messing with things you don't want to mess with. Um, so. I think the not just the original formulation of Utopia, but the evolution of it as well, as I kind of um, learn more about building in protective things for, we never dosed it higher, like most we kept it at 150. But as I as I learn more about, okay, like what if somebody's gonna triple dose this in a day? How can I try kind of try to build in some protective thing, which is balancing the serotonergic with the dopaminergic. So we put in a small amount of 5-HTP uh, in there. Um, and, and I think these little nuances are probably not recognizable. I don't think you really feel the 5-HTP, but it's something that, uh, at least gives me peace of mind where it's, we're not just loading someone up and be like, oh my God, I know yeah. they're going to feel the dopamine here. Let's give them five grams. Um, but it does, it does actually lead me to another, another point of interest, I think, in the conversation, which this one is a little more technical, but it's just something I think for just general consumers to be aware of, which is interactions, um, which is drug supplement interactions or supplement supplement interactions. And uh, they're very real like that. That will exist with, uh, for example, let's say someone's on an antidepressant. You do need to be careful of, of taking products that directly influence neurotransmitters, uh, maybe not so much caffeine, but definitely like and like if you're on a uh, like a classical antidepressant, which is a uh, like a like a serotonin based one, I'm trying to think of, of the names, let's say well, Wellbutrin or something. You do need to be aware that especially if they're they're making serotonin float longer in in the, the synaptic synaptic cleft. So they're they're uh, I forget what they're called serotonin like reuptake inhibitors. If you add more serotonin by using a product that has a serotonin precursor, that could be potentially a problem and a concern. So uh, I think especially if you're on current medications, you either need to ask a medical professional or do some extra layer of work to make sure that that's not a dangerous thing to, for you to be taking. Because I do see that a lot. A lot of people will be on a medication and think, oh, it's a supplement. Like, it's fine. It's not. It's not a drug. When in reality, supplements can have drug-like effects. Like caffeine is a drug. It can be sold as a supplement. Um, even people like like females who are on birth control, birth control will impact your ability to metabolize caffeine. Um, so it will, to some degree, inhibit CYP1A2, which is the main pathway that uh, 
metabolizes caffeine. So you will be more sensitive to caffeine if you're on birth control. Um, so these are things to, I, I think that are good to be aware of, or just aware that, that you should be aware <laughs> that they can, they can have some type of interaction. Um, even things like pe that people, I, I, I think believe are, are sort of harmless, like, oh, let's, let's re rewind back a little bit to talk about immunity formulations, things like single ingredient, um, micronutrients like zinc, uh, you see a lot, you know, zinc for good reason is a, is a main component in an immune support product, but there is an upper limit threshold for zinc, um, in a day, which is 50 milligrams. And a lot of times like an acute Pro, uh, a product that's meant to be used acutely, like let's say uh, an emergency or an airborne or something, it might have pretty close to that upper limit. So acutely you can get away with it. But if you're taking 50 milligrams of zinc for a long time, that could be a problem. And one of the, the main drawbacks is copper deficiency. So um, the reason this is especially relevant is, is I, I just had a nutrition client startup who's taking 50 milligrams long-term. And uh, I said, you know, I think you should, we should check your serum copper uh, if you want to stay on that that um, that supplement long term. We need to check your copper because that could lead to a long term problem. So uh, I think just just an awareness that not everything just because it's sold as a supplement is inherently safe. Um, and then a layer on top of it is if you're taking any traditional prescription medications, you do need to be a little more careful than the person who's not. Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with the plan? Then it's time to start working with us. We at Revive Stronger offer a truly personalized coaching service. You'll get more than just an email with some macros or random cookie cutter program. With Revive Stronger, you will be the center of our attention. You will receive your own fully individualized training protocol alongside a customized nutritional strategy. We created the coaching around your needs, wants, personal preferences, and your own unique lifestyle. Every single week, we delve into your program in order to make appropriate adjustments so that we get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better, if you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change, sign up today and let's revive stronger. I think that's really well said because I think people do completely take it for granted. Even myself, like people just, you know, they chuck in a multivitamin and they're just like, yeah, it's fine. And like they do all these various things. Uh, I know for a time I was taking a high level, a high dose of vitamin D, uh, vitamin D basically, which obviously yeah. accumulates. And it's quite hard to go above like your upper limit. But I, I did when I got like a blood test done because I wasn't feeling too good. And I don't know if it was the vitamin D, but like, there's just things like that where I was like, oh, yeah, high vitamin D. That's good for immunity and whatever. There could be benefits. But it's like like you don't know what's going under the hood sometimes with these things. So it's it's really good Eric to have has, that knowledge. Eric has said the same thing. Uh, Helms, he said he he uh, had hypercalcemia from a fairly moderate dose of, of vitamin D. So, yeah again great great point for us to kind of elaborate on a little more there is, is when you're talking nutrients like let's get away from stimulants and botanicals just individual nutrients i think the things that you need to be most cautious of are especially fat soluble vitamins so that's a d e k uh 
D especially because you can get these high potency forms that are made to be used for someone like a once a month dosage, like a 10,000 IU or a 20,000 IU, um, there could be a very real issue with um, with taking that much, especially if you're taking it daily. So well, again, let me try to take a step back and say, what's the practical way of addressing that? And this is what I recommend to anybody that directly asks me questions about taking supplements or uh, if they should take a supplement, I always say, get a get a lab test first. Um, you can get a vitamin D lab test. Some of them are harder because they're not as easy to catch um, vitamin status, especially for the water soluble vitamins. They're just they're just harder to test. But for minerals and for for fat soluble vitamins, I think before you start those, you should probably get a pretest because. Just because a medical professional or the current medical opinion says everybody is at risk of vitamin D deficiency doesn't mean you're vitamin D deficient. You don't even know your baseline yet. So what if you're fine and you're going taking a supplement makes you go too high? Like, like I'll give you, you know, personal my my own personal medical information is I I actually don't take a vitamin D supplement even in the winter because my serum vitamin D is normal. I'm within normal range. So I have no real reason to do it. Um, and it's not like I'm I'm borderline normal, like I'm smack right within the normal range. So there's no real use for it. And and I've done the same thing. Like I I, I do practice what I preach is uh I I do take zinc. I take uh about a 20 milligram dose of zinc. And um I, I've tested my copper and I, I continue to do follow-up testing on my copper. Um just to make sure because i'm aware that that's an issue um so yeah I, I think those are things that's something that anybody could do like either you can go and ask your gp you know i'm taking the supplement uh, i'd like to have my levels tested or i'm considering the supplement i'd like to have my levels tested and if you don't want to go through a doctor now there's this like explosion of private lab clinics where you can go online and just buy a lab test and you can you're going to pay a little more but the way i look at it is okay if you're going to you could potentially spend $100 to $150 to know your status versus spend a lot more long-term if you end up having a problem from chronic use of a supplement. Um, and last point to touch on botanicals and toxicity as well is um, you do need to have considerations of really high-dose botanicals because there are case studies of people that have used things like, like one of them is an anti-anxiety called Kava Kava. Um, people have actually been hospitalized for liver failure, acute liver failure on using wow. that. Um, a lot of times you'll see people who really load up on botanicals um, will have elevated liver enzymes uh, because a lot of times those can be uh, hepatotoxic because your liver is is basically processing or cleansing these things. So at high dose, again, to, to go back to something I said before, you know, dose is everything. And just because it's a botanical and it's a plant, it doesn't mean it's inherently safe. And a lot of times even, again, sorry, I'm, I'm soapboxing a little bit, but yeah. uh, even things like like vegan products, like vegan proteins uh, or high cacao dark chocolates, because they're soil derived, you are going to get heavy metals and um, other things in there that could potentially be dangerous. And again, that's not just me making it up. There's been lab tests that have tested out vegan protein powders and have shown that they're like quite a bit above the acceptable limits for heavy metal content. So um, 
everything that we've really touched on in this conversation it is important for someone who who wants to be a more savvy consumer and doesn't want to potentially go too far on the opposite side of what they intended doing by using supplements, which is they're trying to in, improve their health. Yet a supplement can very much actually do the opposite of that if, if you're if you're not using them in, in a in a, a well reasoned way. Ben, if you've still got, have you got a chunk of time now? Can I continue this thread? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. To like I'm the good. next like a, an extra fifty minutes or so. Um, sure. Yeah, it's. I mean, you've given me another reason. I just had a chat with Greg Potter, um, and he's at, he actually was the person who, like, I, I forget. I wanted to try and say it for the the listeners. There's somewhere in Africa where there's more heavy metals within the dark chocolate, and other places in Africa where there's less. So he informed me of that, and I was like, I think it's lint. It's like a very popular dark chocolate here that a lot of people yeah. consume, and that actually was from the area, like it was from an area in Africa where it would have more of this heavy metal. And if you're consuming that a lot, it's like a problem. So like I moved that, but it's given me more and more reasons to go and get like some blood work done because I haven't like I again like I'm taking. I'm taking vitamin D, magnesium, zinc, all at like what would be considered like reasonable doses, nothing crazy, but still it's like, I don't know what's going on under the hood. And uh, one I've heard, actually, I'm interested in your thoughts on this, Ben. Ashwagandha, uh, people, I've seen anecdotal reports, whenever I kind of post about ashwagandha as being potentially something that you want to take for like, like something you could take for stress reduction as an yep. example people always come back and have these like reports of people saying how anecdotally it leads to them like have being like apathetic and all their emotions are gone. Have you heard that? Uh, I have seen that the tide is a little bit turned on ashwagandha. Um, I was never that impressed by it, by the data. I know it was very heavily funded, uh, especially by the company that made the KSM license extract. And that started a long time ago and they pushed really hard. Um, they funded a lot of the studies potentially can be conflict of interest, but I was never that impressed. Um, I had used it. I had tried it just out of, you know, I, I'm always, again, looking as a formulator. I want to, I want to do sort of a, let's say a, a bioassay in a, in myself to see if, if there's something really there. And I was never really impressed by it in my own use either on top of just not really being highly convinced on the data. Um, Ironically, the thing that seems to have the best data I've seen for anti-anxiety was kava, but the reason we've never used it is just for that concern that seems to not be as high of a concern before, um, but still enough of a concern that I, I would not feel safe including it um, with, the, with the liver stuff. Um, Bacopa is an ingredient I liked for anti-anxiety. I actually liked it better than than um ashwagandha especially because it has just benefits beyond just the anti-anxiety i think the only drawback is it, it does take a little more longer use to note to notice those so i think people who want that instantaneous anti-anxiety effect probably won't feel it i would say there's probably better ways to go about uh getting anxiety reduction than than from ashwagandha like I think even general things like like 5-HTP will do that. Um, D-L-phenylalanine could produce that. That's just an amino acid. It's just a mix of both isomers, the D and the L. Um, I also think that um, one of the most fascinating ingredients that I'm surprised didn't blow up 
and we did include it in in a product that we had called Zen with De Novo. Is um, Scalicium is the is the herb, and Kana was the licensed form of the extract. So I, I've seen in some pre workouts they put in Kana. I would question why it would fit in a pre workout, but there was very fascinating data, and even mechanistically, um, it functions as an SRI and um just like a low potency one and those are all things that were more fascinating to me than than ashwagandha was and you can even look on you know user experience uh profiles like places like reddit um that's one of the most uh highly uh not sought after but just based on user experience people people kind of rank that as one of the highest things that they felt an impact from and i would say in my personal use as well um it is a very peaceful uh, feeling uh, ingredient. And it's it's very potent. I mean, it's 20 milligrams is all you need um, for that. So I think if people were really looking for, for that, I think you can also make a pretty strong case that there's ways to produce that without supplements. Sure. Um, for example, just going out, getting some sunlight, yeah. meditating, a lot of stuff like that. But if you're really hell-bent on finding a supplement ingredient, I think I would probably chase those before I'd probably go down the route of ashwagandha because I just never really bought a lot of the data on it. And um, I did hear some of those anecdotes as well that that you've mentioned. And like I said, I think that's probably why there's some of the pushback happening. And you need to realize, again, is, you know, there is always potential. You are <laughs> to to be to be frank, you're fucking with your neurotransmitters. So you're there's always potential to produce an unwanted effect, because even if you have this. Uh, this research study that let's say it looks at a, a pool, and especially in supplements, it looks at a subject pool of 20 individuals. That's not really a big, that, there's not a lot of statistical power in, in 20. Um, and it shows that in 90% of these people, it produced a, a positive impact uh, where it improved their, let's just say, anxiety. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it applies to everybody in the general population. And, and we know that even with pharmaceuticals, that have a pretty well-established track record that you know you can put someone on an antidepressant and it actually makes them more depressed and have more suicidal ideation so um you just need to go in being aware that you are you are yes acutely and not as potently as as a as a pharmaceutical but you are fucking with your neurotransmitters yeah it's again i think it's one of those where it's a supplement and so people view it as like safe it's like it's fine but uh i guess like a, a key thing there is just if you're taking something and doesn't feel something feels different and you haven't changed anything else it very may well be that thing even though like some of them aren't that potent but everyone's that little bit different and i know um for some of these like ashwagandha that, that's something i always would say to people is like i think they've only looked at the safety for like 12 weeks or whatever not longer than that so i'm always like mm -hmm. you probably need to take a break after 12 weeks or like it, it's a safe bet to take a break would you say the same for some other of these like more herbs and things that haven't been studied for longer periods of time yeah i think it's always better to err on the side of caution um i think if if you really the, the same rationale applies to dose as it does to long-term use of something is if you don't really feel you need it, you probably shouldn't be using it. And it's the same way I look at uh, dose escalation is if you notice you have this, and I'm not saying you need to chart this in an Excel spreadsheet or something, but yeah, if you notice that you've been over time 
escalating your dose of something like caffeine or something, I, I do think you need to look at, are you trying to band-aid uh, an issue? Because that could lead you down a very dangerous path um, for, for numerous reasons. Um, but I think you should only ever increase if you actually do need a little more stimulation, not just because you're trying to get you know, jacked out of your mind, um, or, you know, um, stimmed out of your mind, uh, or because you think you need 300 because this product has 300 and that's what they're dosing it at. Like we even put on our labels, like start at half dose. What's, what's the drawback for that? If you feel that product and you're getting the intended effect at half the dose, you've just now doubled the effective length. You're going to be able to use that product. You saved money and you're getting what you wanted from it. Um, so I realized that, you know, peer pressure and there's a lot of social things that go into product use and stuff like that. But, um, I think there's, there's no good reason to not start lower and then only, only go up if you need to. And I think the second thing is, you know, dosage form and route of administration or the, the way you're dosing something is an impact as well. And, and I think it, it's a, it was a very popular thing that I still see people do. Maybe, I don't know how much it may have died off or not, but stuff like dry scooping, understand that, you know, you're taking all of that dosage in a very short time frame. So how that's gonna affect the curve of how it reaches your blood is gonna be, as opposed to, let's say you mix a pre and you kind of sip it for 15, 20 minutes, um, you're getting a little more of a, a, a kind of flattened um, exposure in the blood versus when you dry scoop, you take that high potency dose, you're going to spike a lot faster. So anytime with a higher dose or a higher spike in the blood, yes, you will feel it stronger and faster, but you also increase the potential of side effects from that. So um, again, these are, these are all just simple things you could do to potentially use, use supplements a little smarter as well. And, and and improve the safety of the same exact product just in the way you're using it. I don't think, I don't know. I, I know I've um, used your products before that you've produced and you have the directions, like you, you talk about these sort of things, which most companies don't. And uh, I love that like level. And as a consumer, I think the people who are buying your product also like that, that you talk about those things and how they can I get the, so. the most from <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, this might be my final question for you, Ben. I'm I'm just throwing it at you because you mentioned this CYP1A2, uh, mm -hmm. kind of the metabolization of caffeine. And I just heard it somewhere recently was this um, supplement called, I think it's called Rutacarpine, which I think has been shown to help. I think it's been in some rodent studies. It's metabolized caffeine like quicker. So I think some people are saying you could potentially take this and if you've like, I don't know, like you said, you've been up in your dose of caffeine, you're having lots of coffees, but then you chuck this in the mix and it kind of metabolizes it quicker for you so you can kind of get away with it. I don't know if you've heard of this supplement or you've got any kind of thoughts on it. I have heard of the ingredient before. I don't know a lot about it, uh, but I think my initial skepticism would be, uh, just like I said, you're fucking with neurotransmitters. I think when you are playing with, metabolic pathways you have to realize that they don't exist in isolation um so you need to understand that if you block a metabolic pathway it, it doesn't just these are families of enzymes that metabolize uh 
they metabolize compounds based upon structural similarity. So what that means is there's a lot of different, when you eat foods, it's funny because people have described, like with chemophobia, have described Pop-Tarts as a chemical shitstorm. But the reality is every day, just by eating, it's a chemical shitstorm. Like there's a ton of chem, like in a banana, there's a ton of chemicals, individual chemicals. And these families of enzymes um, metabolize multiple different things. So just because it's re most relevant to caffeine doesn't mean that it only metabolizes caffeine. Just like I said, birth control will impact how you metabolize caffeine. And um, a lot of times you you have shared uh, metabolism of certain things. And that's why uh, even to use another herb uh, like St. John's wort, you have to be careful with because it uses a different enzyme and it will kind of reduce the expression. So if you're on a certain medication, it will change the way you metabolize that medication and that could potentially be be dangerous. So I think if that's true, let's say it, it ramps up um, metabolism uh, or it, it uh, I'm forgetting it induces CYP1A2, meaning it, it it causes more production of that enzyme. The drawback of that isn't really that you can take more caffeine um, because you have to realize that if you're metabolizing caffeine faster, you're going to be kind of coming down quicker too. You're going to be crashing quicker from it. So I don't buy that that's necessarily a pr protection from it. I actually think most people probably want caffeine to last longer. So you'd you'd probably want to inhibit um, CYP1A2 uh, if you want most of the experience from what people what people like from caffeine. Um, so I don't know that I, that to me sounds like a lot more of a marketing promise than something that's probably practically going to be beneficial. I do need, I'll need to look into it more myself. Um, but also understand that if you impact or influence your metabolism of caffeine by inducing CYP1A2, you're going to change how you metabolize other things too. I always come back to this phrase for every gimme, there's like gotcha. Like there's almost, Absolutely. And, and supplements, it, it just feels this way where it's like, especially coming away from this conversation with you, Ben, I've got a newfound respect for supplements and also how I should be careful, more careful, especially when it's not protein powders and like carbohydrate sure. powders and things, things outside of like maybe omega threes and creatine. Like I need to be thinking a little bit more about kind of even the way I talk about them with clients or even talk about them to people on the internet, like getting that blood work is actually maybe more important than I had initially thought. So I think that's been really powerful. And also obviously all the practical advice you gave to consumers, I think it's been super helpful. I do want to make sure that people are aware again uh, of elemental formulation and obviously the work you're doing there. Um, have you guys got any kind of new products or any launches that are going on at the moment that the consumers and listeners should be aware of? Uh, we did just recently launch, uh, ironically, a stronger version of our of our pre-workout called Prime Pre X. It's just for people who want a little more stimulation. Uh, we added we added Yohimbine, which is which is a safe but stronger stimulation than just caffeine alone. Um, we still have all the other products in line. The Prime Pre, we well, we're out of Utopia. We will be restocking that. So anybody who's heard about it and is wanting to get it, just be patient. It, it, it's coming. Um, other than that, no, I mean, it, it's, it's, a it's a challenging time in the supplement industry with, with inflation and all the raw materials going up and people obviously budgeting more 
and not probably not having as much to spend on supplements um, and just ever increasing competition and marketing. So uh, as of right now, that's it. Um, I always have stuff floating around in the brain, but nothing in the pipeline right now that's about to come out beyond beyond those things, just restocking. I know. I think I saw with uh, whey protein prices, people are talking about it. I, I'm fortunate enough not to have to buy it too often uh, through my sponsor. Yeah. Uh, but I, I know like oh, people are saying on my protein, like their prices are literally like doubled, like they were looking at no. them. I mean, creatine so. spiked, everything's spiking. So it, it's very, very, very tough to meet, I think, a price point that consumers want and then enough area where you can have a margin to survive as a business too. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I can, like, as maybe some of the listeners know, I was uh, with you under DeNovo and I like, yep. love the products under there. And I love what you guys are doing with uh, elemental formulations as well. And like there, I think after people have heard this whole thing, if they're still listening, they've got to be pretty sold that it's probably a product that they maybe want to check out. So guys, definitely check it out. If people want to kind of keep up with the brand or what you're doing, Ben, is there anywhere people should head? I always say that um my instagram is probably the best place I, I don't post a ton but you know if people wanted to contact me that's probably the best place it's just at ben Esgro. um the website for the products is elemental.fit um elemental formulations is the instagram handle i do have a side project that i bring up every time called subsci it's just so hard for that. me to yeah to really invest in that the way i want to um because the reality is it needs to be monetized to be able to allocate that time with all of my other time um time sinks so it just keeps getting the back seat um i do think there's worthwhile information still there on that page it just hasn't been as active but the intent there was to help people understand supplements better and i would like to build that out maybe in the future um i think i will always exist no matter what happens in the supplement space in terms of making products i'd like to always be involved in it so um yeah, I, 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 I would like at some point long term to kind of build that out into some type of curriculum. So I think those things are all worth checking out and following. Um, and I hope, if if nothing else, I, I know there was a lot of details in a lot of areas we covered. I never want to give people paralysis by analysis. I know there's a lot of inf information covered, but if nothing else, just focus on every time I said the practical takeaway. I think that's the biggest, most important parts of, yeah. of the conversation for people to take. I agree. And uh, yeah, I liked what you were doing. As I was doing research for the podcast, I looked at that page and some of the posts you'd obviously done. And it was like, it, it's definitely great information, but I can, I mean, creating an infographic, the amount that just goes into creating it, let alone all the research and everything else yeah, that goes behind it. It's a lot. So yeah, definitely guys support Ben, um, go check out the product. I'll make sure everything's linked in the description box below and we'll talk to you next time. Take care. Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't though, it's reality and we know how to do it. And we will help you achieve this. The Minicup Movement is an eight week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You'll receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of 
the mini cup so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The mini cup movement is open 24 seven. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together.